This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, Journey Church. I'm glad to be with you this morning. Truthfully, I didn't think we'd be back in this position again. You know, a couple of weeks ago or months ago, I was thinking about what we would talk about into January, and I really couldn't get any sort of sense about what we should talk about. I kept having 1 Peter run through my mind. And the book of 1 Peter, if you know about the New Testament, is about uh, a church in exile. And um, I thought to myself, like, surely, God, this is like, like I should have preached this maybe sometime in 2020 or I just couldn't get off my head, so I thought, well, we'll preach it, and we'll sort of preach it in hindsight, but here we are again online, and the title of this series is called Uncertainty with the Uncrossed Out, Certainty in the Time of Uncertainty, and truly, like if I were to be really transparent with you this morning, uh, this is probably the most uncertain I have ever felt as a pastor or a leader. But I do know that in the middle of uncertainty that God sits with us, that he walks with us, that he um, stands with us. So we're talking, uh, we're going to talk for the next number of weeks through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, prior to January, we had done a lot of topical series and we, we generally tend to like to do expositional series because I feel like one of my jobs as your pastor is to train you in how to read the Bible and this idea of reading the Bible together and actually expounding on what God's Word says to us, going through it line by line is really, really important. Um, But let me just give you a little bit of a background on the book of 1 Peter. So 1 Peter wrote this letter to a church whose world had been absolutely turned upside down. And like our world right now, I'm sure that many of them thought that this would never end. Um, in its opening greeting, and we're going to talk about this, this verse in a second, he says, To the chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I mean, we hear that and we go, yeah, yeah, whatever. But this is, he was basically saying the saints were everywhere. They were spread out all over the place. And they, um, this was because of political and religious persecution and everything in their lives was uncertain. Their communities had been shattered. Their worlds had totally been rocked. And we haven't gone through persecution like this, but many of us feel the difficulty of living in uncertainty. We might not be exiles, but on some level we can all relate to this book. And the question that First Peter asks is, how do we endure or even thrive in a time like this? And that's what we're going to unpack over the next couple of weeks. I wanted to begin, though, by giving a brief word about the author of First Peter, who is the Apostle Peter. And most people, when they start to read the Bible, gain a real affection for Peter because he's like an everyman, right? Like he says things he shouldn't say. I feel like I relate to him on such a strong level because he says he gets his big mouth out in front of his brain and then has to sort of take everything back. Uh, Peter was the guy, incidentally, who walked on water. So he had all kinds of faith and ambition but he was also the guy that Jesus told, get behind me, Satan, um, because he had a different idea about the kingdom of God than Jesus was really trying to teach. He really thought, when you look at all the gospels and all the Peter narratives, you can see that what Peter really thought is that Jesus was going to change the world by force, that he was going to come in as a political strongman and um, 
change and bring the kingdom of God about that way. Specifically in Matthew chapter 16, um, verse 22, I just want to read this passage. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. So Jesus is telling all his disciples, listen, everybody, I'm going to die. It's going to be brutal. I'm going to be persecuted. And Peter, I like this. Peter took him aside and rebuked him like he kind of related to Jesus like he was the boss and Jesus was his child. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned in verse 23 and said to Peter, get me, get thee behind me, Satan. Okay, so now there are a lot of names that maybe we have been called before, but this may be the worst. Imagine Jesus is calling Peter Satan, he's not actually calling him Satan. He's saying that his motives, he said, you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter wanted to push away all kinds of pain, any kind, any form of pain or persecution in order. And then, and then that's how he wanted to receive Jesus. We know a couple chapters later, he's the same guy that when they came to arrest Jesus, he cut off a dude's ear. Now, I think we read that and go, oh, yeah, he cut off a dude's, he cut off a dude's ear. This is not like Mike Tyson biting someone's ear. This is like he cut it, you had an ear, and now it's on the ground. Okay, Peter was sincerely mixed up, sincerely mixed up. But what gives me great hope this morning, and I hope it gives you great hope too, that as we're reading through 1 Peter, we'll see that Peter has totally been transformed. He's no longer saying, Jesus, I, I don't want any pain if that's what it, I, I, I'm, he actually says to us in 1 Peter chapter 1, like all these trials that we're facing, God's going to use them and we've got to embrace them or we're going to see that. The end of Peter's life, we know that history tells us that Peter asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't think that he was worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was crucified. This is total transformation. And so as we're reading the book of 1 Peter, I, I don't want us to be divorced from the, from the author himself. We have to remember that when we're reading the epistles, we're reading over the shoulder of somebody who's writing, who's written a letter. And, and so I want us to really keep in mind uh, that Peter was transformed and this gives us great hope today. Maybe you are feeling just similar to me, tired and sort of angry that this keeps going on. First Peter is going to be like a salve and a bomb to our spirits, knowing that God can transform us from being like people that can't take it anymore to people that say, Jesus, whatever it takes to make me more like you, I want to receive that. Okay, so let's dive into the text. We're going to look at three things really quick this morning from 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, the first one is that we're to live as exiles. So in verse 1, let's read it again. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those chosen living as exiles. I want to focus on two words here. The first one is chosen you know, Peter reminds the people that no matter what they were facing, that they were chosen by God. And when you're chosen by God, it means like you're on the best team. You're on the winning team. It doesn't matter what you're faced with right now. You're going to win because you're on God's side. The second word is the word exile. That speaks to the current relationship with the world we now live in. Peter was, of course, writing to a group of people who had literally been exiled from their country. But Peter uses this as a metaphor to Christians everywhere. You know, all Christians are essentially exiles in this world, tempo, temporary isolated from their true country and taking up residence from another. And when you're living in a country that you're not from, um, you can be one of three things. So you can be an immigrant, a tourist, or an exile. 
when immigrants, an immigrant is someone who seeks to make the new country their permanent home. They're not from here. They want this country to be their home. And this is what a lot of Christians do with this world. They might know up here that they're citizens of heaven, but they treat the world as if it is their proper home. So they leverage most of their resources to a comfortable life here. They obsess about their reputation. They stress about what they do and don't have. They stress about things like, am I ever going to get married? Is my ship ever going to come in? Why is my life so hard, etc." And a lot of us, listen, if you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable right now, it's probably because a lot of us should. Because many of us don't act as exiles. We act as immigrants. We're trying to make this place, you know, our home. And Peter is pushing against that right at the outside of this book. Our, our, second, chat, our section, second option when we're living in a country that's not our own is to be a tourist. Now, I know it's been a long time since any of us were tourists, but, but a tourist is sort of the opposite of an immigrant. They don't want to live in the new country. They're just visiting. They don't form any real connections to the place. They stay huddled in groups, you know, with your tour guide or your, you wear those shirts where you get on buses. And while you're there in this new, you speak your own language. You get upset if you can't find McDonald's or Starbucks. If there's political or social problems going on in the country that you're visiting, you don't really care. Because it's not your country. You're just there to look at ancient artifacts and like take some pictures for the Instagram. And this is the attitude that some Christians have towards our world. They stay separated. They never get involved. They feel no connection to the community around them or its problems. They, they're like, they live out the epitome of escapism. And in the particularly years gone by, Christians have been accused of being so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. This is what I'm, this is sort of what I'm getting at here. Some of us live like we live right here. We're living right for the here and now. We're immigrants. We're trying to make ourselves comfortable here. Some of us live like we're tourists. We're just like holding on like, oh, if my plane could come now and Jesus could come now and I'm just going to keep blinders on my eyes. We're living like tourists. But Paul doesn't call us to either of those things. He calls us to live as exiles. An exile is someone whose home is somewhere else, but for an undefined amount of time, they have to make this new place their home. So they invest in the community. They form relationships. They learn the culture, but they don't get too attached because the whole time that they're here, they're looking for a day when they can go back home. Christians who live as exiles are not focused on, a, on owning a lot because their real home is elsewhere. They're satisfied with just enough to get by because their real treasure is somewhere else. Now, I know this is slightly uncomfortable just after Christmas, right? When we've ate too much, we got too much, we spent too much, and the visa bills are on their way. But uh, these are the ways that scriptures form us. In some ways, um, you know when you go to an airport, let me just remind you if you haven't been to an airport, and you get those little, there's those little stores there where you can get overpriced things that you need. Uh, this is what it means to be an exile. You're just having a layover. You know, you can get cough medicine or gum or, but you know what's never in those stores? Shopping carts. Why? Because you're not ever loading up on all the things at the little layover airport store. And this is what it should mean for us to be people living in the world. Peter wanted in this, in this um, book to change your mentality towards the world around you. This world is not your true home, so don't be obsessed with your experiences here, what you do have or what you don't have, and don't let it bother you that everyone around you is different. 
That's what you should expect if you're in exile. You belong to a different kingdom with a different set of values. You follow a different authority. Christians are supposed to seem strange to the world around them, but not strange. Like if you're strange just for the sake of being strange, that's not what Peter's talking about here. He's saying that you should seem strange because the way that you're living your life is different than everyone else. You're supposed to be living a whole different set of values. You, you answer to a different authority in every way you're marching to the beat of your own drum. Uh, in s it, some theologians say that Christians are supposed to be a contrast society. Jesus came to bring good news. That's what the gospel means, good news. But we actually have to show uh, good news in a bad news world. And, and the Christian community should actually be embodying this contrast way of living. Peter is saying, embrace your identity as an exile. Okay, so we embrace our identity as an exile. And this means that even through this pandemic, even in the middle of this, let me just ask you this question. How are we living as exiles as opposed to immigrants or tourists? How are you living as someone who has a different set of values, a different authority, a different people group? I, I believe that in these days that God is shaping us and molding us to really live like the exiles he's called us to. And I'm going to tell you that as your pastor, this has challenged me. How am I living? How is my family living as an exile? How are we, how are we leading our community to be an exile and contrast society to the world? Then he goes on in verse 3 to say this, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, so what you're going to find in 1 Peter, I'm just going to square with you, is that there's sometimes these long run-on sentences that you think, I don't know what he just said there. So we're going to try to break it down and talk about it as, as a community. This, this one first sentence has so much in it. We could just talk about this sentence uh, for the next hour. We're not going to, but we could. First of all, it tells us, it, it really starts to unpack our Trinitarian theology, why we believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what I want to focus on here is this idea that we have a living hope. What does it mean to have a living hope? The first thing is this. It reminds us this first that the past is gone, that God's mercy is enough. Peter doubles down. He says, you're in exile because you have been born again. You have this new life. And to be born again, I mean, it's like a fresh start. In the 80s, this sort of got like overplayed, like you have to be born again. And I think we lost the idea of it. Being born again means that you get to start over. And I don't know where you are right now, maybe 2021, like 90% of us was a really hard year. But to be born again means that God gives us these new starts. When I was a kid, we used to sing this song, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. The idea that God's mercy is new today. And I know this is the first Sunday of a new year. We can believe today, like First Peter trains us, that that God can give us a new start. So it is a new start for all of us today. His mercies are new every morning. And we can manage today, this verse tells us, because we have a living hope. Living hope is a hope that's stronger than death, a hope that extends beyond death. And where is this hope found? Well, this scripture tells us that it's found, we're, we, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection. It's found in the resurrection. Okay, so let me ask you this. What is your hope for the future? Is it in the assumption that the pandemic won't last forever and that soon everything will get back to normal? Remember when that sounded, remember when that sounded normal? 
think soon everything's going to get back to normal. And for those of us that have been here for three years, for two years, two and two years, yes, we know that, I don't know, if your hope's in that, like, I'm sure you're having a hard day. Or, or is your hope in that someday you'll save up enough to retire or that you'll have kids or that you'll get married? Viktor Frankl was a Jewish Austrian doctor who was imprisoned in Auschwitz in World War II and he survived. And later he wrote a book, Man's Search for Meaning. And he told stories from his time there and he described how various prisoners dealt with despair. Many, he said, responded to the um, brutality of Auschwitz by becoming brutal and cruel themselves, kind of a survival of the fittest. Others, Frankl said, just gave up. He wrote, usually this happened quite suddenly, the symptoms of which were familiar to us who had been at Auschwitz for a while. We all feared this moment for our friends. Usually it began one morning when the prisoners simply refused to get dressed or washed or go out to, parade, to the parade grounds for inspections. No entreaties, no blows, no threats had any effect. They just lay there. They had given up. Nothing bothered them anymore because they had no more hope. So some people just gave up. Many, he said, held on to hope that if they stayed alive, their health, their family, their professional achievements, fortune, and position in society would be restored to them. That's what their hope was in. But after liberation, many of these same people that held on to this hope uh, went home and they found that many of the things that they had dreamed about, their jobs, their careers, their families, etc., had changed, had been irrevocably taken from them. And they went into deep depression and there's many stories of the high suicide rates that came. Their hopes had been shattered. Frankel said that the only ones who really and truly overcame Auschwitz were those who had a fixed reference point beyond the world, something they held on to that was beyond the grasp of death and destruction. Frankel said this, life in a concentration camp tears open a, a sound and exposes its depths and foundations. That is essentially what Peter is saying here. He's saying, look, you might have trials, and you can see this in verse 6. He says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that they prove the genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's reminding us that, listen, you might be in the middle of a trial right now, but this living hope that we have is not based on circumstances, but it's based on the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus rose from the dead, all of the trials that we're facing right now, every pain, every tear, every sorrow is fixed with Jesus. One day things will get better. Uh, and we know that because of the resurrection, not because of any any circumstance that we're dealing with. You see, if you need anything in your life to change in order to have peace or to be happy, you haven't found the living hope that Peter is talking about. Living hope is a joy and a hope that you have in whatever situation you are in. And this is the mark of maturity in Christianity. You see, Christianity is not just some like set of rules that we follow so that we become nice people. In fact, Jesus said that he came to give us abundant life, but that abundant life is not tied to whether you have car payments or whether you have a mortgage or whether uh, you can ever leave your home again. That abundant life is tied to this idea that we are exiles, that we are not living for the here and now, and that whatever we do in the here and now is just a short blip on the, on the, um, 
on the map of our lives. This living hope is tied to the fact that our faith is secure. When we walk with Jesus, 1 Peter tells us that our hope is, um, it, our, we have an inheritance, verse 4 says, that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven. And we don't, I, I said this a couple of weeks ago, that we don't often talk about heaven anymore. And this is partly because uh, we had people that were living as tourists and as escapists. I don't want to call you to that. First Peter doesn't call you to be escapists. But he does remind us that we have this hope, which is heaven. I love the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, I've been trying to convince my kids during the last little bit that we should take what seems like 17 hours of our life and rewatch it. But I especially resonate with the part where Samwise Gamgee has this moment where he looks forward to a time where he says, every sad thing becomes untrue. This is the hope we have. You know, when Tokian was writing, it was his way of talking about this inheritance that First Peter talks about, a time in eternity when all sad things become untrue, where we're, light, where we're reunited with lost family, where disease is taken away, where relationships are finally and fully healed. There's no more pain, no more crying. God wipes away every tear. And this is the hope we have. No matter what you're faced with today, no matter what circumstances are crowding you out, feeling like you cannot breathe, First Peter calls us to remember that the hope we have is not tied to circumstance, but rather tied to the timeless truth that Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered grave and the death, and you are chosen by God. This is what living with hope means. Past is gone. We can make it through today, and our future is secured. The last thing that this first couple of verses, first 10 verses in 1 Peter tells us, is that we are privileged to live now. Okay, so I was thinking about this because I read it, and I kind of, I, I read verses 10 and onwards, and I felt kind of annoyed. Because, because then I thought, yeah, but if I felt annoyed, I bet you the people who first read 1 Peter also felt annoyed. Okay, so let's read it together. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to figure out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that was followed. Okay, so here's what Peter's saying here. He's saying, listen, the time that you're living in, the prophets that went before you begged God to tell them about the time that you were living in. They, they just wanted to have a little taste. And then verse 12 says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. The prophets were told, listen, this is not about you, but for a people that will come after you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long look to long to look into these things. What Peter is telling us is that the time we are living in right now, Theologically, we call it the dispensation of grace, where God's grace has come to us. We can know Jesus. This is the best time to live in. In fact, angels only wish that, in some versions it says, angels are jealous of you. Now, I know things don't look 100% right now, but I do know that we are living in unprecedented, wonderful times where the Spirit of God dwells with us. We no longer have to go through priests and the Levitical law, but God actually took up residence. Jesus came and made his home amongst us. This is something that we can get up in the morning and say, thank you, God, that we live in these times. Yes, there are difficult circumstances, but these circumstances only serve to make our faith stronger. 
only serve to refine us. I know this morning some of us want to give up, but I want to call us to persevere. I know some of you maybe who are watching, you're watching this morning just because um, maybe even the idea of the church, of ecclesia, of the gathering together, you've just sort of given up. I want to call you again to persevere, to make a new decision, to say, I am part of the body of Christ. Angels today are saying, if, if only we could be a part of this. These are the best days we're living in the living hope of Jesus. And um, today, I, I want to call you to go deeper into that living hope. Deeper in the living hope. And, and when we go deeper in the living hope and the resurrection of Jesus, it'll do two things for us. The first thing is this. It'll give us greater clarity on life. It shows us that earthly life is temporary, but heavenly citizenship is eternal. And this is what the whole book of 1 Peter is really going to get at in a really gritty way. And the second thing, it'll give you greater comfort in trials. These trials hurt, but from the perspective of eternity, we can make it. I'm not saying that they don't hurt at all. I'm not, I'm not minimizing the things that you're going through. I'm not minimizing the pain that you might now be experiencing. But 1 Peter reminds us that as we live as exiles, no matter what trial we're facing, no matter what loneliness, no matter what discouragement we might be feeling, we can have living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. Today I'm praying that that supernatural hope would come and surround you, that you would sense the Spirit of God, that you would sense His presence right where you're watching, and that He would imbue you with new hope for a new year. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.